Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Wow, do we have a topic today? Don't you always want to know why couples fight? Well, the author of that brand new book is here with me, Mira Kirschenbaum, and we are going to be talking about the book, Why Couples Fight, a step-by-step guide to ending the frustration, conflict, and resentment in your relationship. So stay tuned. Welcome to Save Your Sanity Podcast. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. Are you living with the chaos, confusion, and uncertainty that a toxic person loves to create? Is a partner, parent, ex, sibling, child, or coworker causing you to second-guess yourself? That can be crazy-making. I'm here to help you save your sanity. So let's get down to it and figure some things out now. Stay tuned. Welcome to Save Your Sanity Podcast. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. I'm so glad you're here. And if you're a returning guest, I'm delighted that you found value and you returned. And if you're brand new, I'm so glad that you found us. You know that I'm dedicated to helping you see the path from recognizing to recovering and rebuilding after toxic relationships, whether that's with a parent, partner, ex, sibling, or even your adult child. So today, I'm delighted to have as my guest, Mira Kirschenbaum, and she is the author of the book, Why Couples Fight, a step-by-step guide to ending the frustration, conflict, and resentment in your relationship, as I mentioned in the introduction. Welcome to the show, Myra. Mira. Hi. Hi, everybody. I'm very happy to be here. Well, we're delighted to have you. I've waited to have this interview with you. You've done so many wonderful things. So let me tell folks about Mira. She has an international reputation as a therapist, working with individuals, couples, and families. People from all over the world have come to seek her help, including royalty and prominent people in entertainment, business, medicine, law, sports, and, of course, men and women in other walks of life. She's lectured and done training at Harvard and made countless appearances on TV, radio, and in print. She's appeared a number of times on the Today Show, CNN, and numerous daytime talk shows. And of course, with all that going on, she's been interviewed frequently in magazines such as Cosmo, Glamour, and Town & Country. So, Mira, we have so much to talk about. I love something that you wrote, and I think it just captures the issue with toxic relationships so well. And you said that power is the enemy of love. What brought you to make that statement? Well, it certainly is the enemy of love. You can't have love when there's power. I've been a therapist for 40-some years, and the people I've worked with have shown me that this is what's actually going on. I didn't know it until I learned it from all the people I've worked with, both in my clinical work and my research. But, you know, power is such a strong word. How We all ask ourselves, how can it have anything to do with love and relationships? 
because only someone very disturbed wants power for its own sake. But every one of us feels terrible when we feel disempowered. A normal, sane person is happy to take your place at the end of a line, you know, at the bank or somewhere, at the movie theater. But we're all very upset if someone cuts ahead of us. That makes us feel disempowered because it's a challenge to us to do something about it. And so in the same way in our relationships, it never occurs to us to try to gain power. But if by even a look or an offhand comment, our partner makes us feel, or anyone makes us feel disempowered, will unconsciously or unthinkingly do something. It's a kind of reflex to re-empower ourselves. Maybe we'll just raise our voice. And then that makes the other person feel disempowered. And then the two of us are off and running. Mm. Such a good distinction because... We all want to have personal power. We want to feel good about who we are, feel clear about our values, our vision, be able to express with some clarity who we are and what we're up to, what we prefer, what we need, what we want. But if we get into a power dynamic that is unhealthy or is competitive, we lose the joy of our personal power coming together to make something greater than the sum of its parts, right? Exactly. Right. A power move is something you say or do, whether you intended to or not, that makes another person feel disempowered. Anything can be an, a, a power move. Let's look at a couple of obvious examples. If someone says to you, you don't know what you're talking about. The idea here is when they say that, that you'll suddenly smack yourself on the forehead and say, you're right, I didn't know what I was talking about. How silly of me to even try to debate this with you. Whatever you think is best, but you no one ever in the whole history of the world has ever done that. The minute someone puts us down makes us feel small. We have to stand up for ourselves. We've learned to do that our whole lives. And the question is, does it work? Is it effective? Is it going to get you what you need, what you want? Or is it a way to get caught in this horrible power dynamic? Mm-hmm. And that's what's revolutionary about this book. Finally, for the very first time, we're looking at how this dynamic works and what people can accomplish in much more effective ways. The question you have to ask yourself is do you want to make a mess? Or do you want to get your needs met? In real life, what's going on is that we're just having our feelings. It's not that complicated. But you've got to take your feelings seriously. 
and make certain that you get them met, not by reflexively, unconsciously doing your power moves, your counter power moves, but by doing what's work, by being savvy. And in my new book, my 15th book, Why Couples Fight, you learn exactly what to do. And also as an added bonus, you get the three-step process for resolving conflict that is so clear and effective and tested. And it's all there, everything you need to get your needs met. So when a person feels disempowered, how much responsibility do they have for that? Well, you have a choice. What you have to ask yourself when you feel disempowered is what is the smartest thing to do? You've got to slow yourself down and not make power moves. First thing, don't escalate. Don't make a power move. Do not respond until you size up what's going on. And what is going on? Most of the time, there are three possibilities. The other person is having their feelings, like in a, you know when they say in a loud voice, I'm so sick of this lockdown. There's nothing to agree or disagree with. It doesn't matter if you're sick of the pandemic or if you think your partner should be sick of it. When someone is having their feelings, whatever their feelings are, what they need, what you need is for the other person to acknowledge, to validate, to understand, and to empathize. So that's one of the three things that are happening whenever a person opens their mouth. The other thing that's happening is that the other person makes a statement about reality. It could be, oh, it's so hot in here. Or you never help around the house. I'm begging you, if you hear my voice on my knees, do not ever get into a discussion or disagreement about someone you with someone you love about whether what the person said is true or not true, or how true it is. Discussions like that never, ever turn out well, no matter how sure you are that they should turn out well and that they will turn out well, you're not going to convince them. Instead, you move things right along to a discussion of what you need. That's the most important thing that goes on when you're communicating. You say a need. It's always a step in the right direction. Even if the other person doesn't welcome that need, I let's go back to I need you to help around the house more. That's what you want. It's like a festering sore for you that you're, the other person doesn't help. But now you get down to finding solutions that will work for both of you. So you're not responding until you figure out 
what the person's even saying. Are they having their feelings? Are they defining reality? Or are they expressing a need? How can you reply until you know what's been said? Right now, what level am I on? Everything I've just said. Is that a question for me? Yeah. I mean, you're hearing me talk. What is it that I'm saying? What level? There's feel, real, or need. Well, I don't know. I don't know you. So I have no. No, no, no. It's not me. It's anytime anyone talks ever. This is one of. Well, most people get it all entangled and they say their feelings like reality. That's why communication is so confusing for us because people say their feelings as if it's reality. But I was on the reality level. You can agree with me. You can disagree. We can agree to disagree. We have a lot of options, but you have to know what the person is actually saying. I'm answering your question about responsibility. Whose responsibility is it? It's the responsibility of the person who is speaking to say what level they're on. I agree. I just want to say my feelings. Can you hear them? Yes. And then then we have a completely different conversation. Absolutely. I think if the speaker can do the justice to the conversation by identifying what they're talking about, uh, it's a great step forward. Absolutely. Because sometimes you just want to be heard. Sometimes there is no need for a solution either. It's just, as you say, you use the example of, I'm so tired of being in lockdown. Well, the other person may agree with you. They may shrug their shoulders and roll their eyes because you've had that conversation 10 times. Or if they're caring about you, they'll just say, yeah, yeah, it is awful. And they'll validate you. And those things are very, very important. So I like these distinctions that you're offering. I just know that in toxic relationships, we have a different power dynamic. And the intention of the power dynamic is to have power over. So I just want to put a caveat in for all of you listening, particularly those who've listened to other episodes, that when you're dealing with toxic people, this is a strategy for you to get clear, to be able to know you're doing your very best. Don't expect it to come returned. Because if you're in a toxic relationship with a hijackal, these things are not going to be things that they wish to determine for you. They may feel that they shouldn't have to, or they may not even know. But in the attempt to have power over, they're not going to help you feel less bewildered. So that's that's an issue. So it, it's very interesting to talk about these things. You know, I, I think in um, Why Couples Fight, you had this header at a chapter, I don't want power, I just don't want to feel disempowered. Exactly. We are not interested in power for its own sake. We just want to get what we need and not to have fights about it. Yes, and how wonderful. (laughs) However, if you're in a relationship with a hijackal, I'm sure everybody who's listening is going, oh, yeah, maybe in somebody else's house, but not here, (laughs) because you're always faced with 
a hijackal feeling as though, uh-uh, you're not going to get a little bit of power here because I get very fearful when I don't have all the power. So there is a difficulty there. So you said in the book that a power move is anything we do or say that makes the other person feel disempowered. Um, that's where I, I still want to bring up some clarity, Mira, because people can say and do things that have no intention of being a power move. They are just offering the clarity that you mentioned. And yet a person may be so damaged that they hear everything as an attempt to make them feel disempowered, or they may just respond to life in a disempowered way. How do you suggest someone see that in themselves and then bring themselves up to a place where that it contains more equity. As I say in my book, Too Good to Leave, Too Bad to Stay, a step-by-step guide to help you decide whether to stay in or get out of your relationship is run, don't walk from <laughs> power people. I have a chapter on power people there. The true marker of a power person is they're not fair. In my over 40, 45 years experience now uh, as a therapist and from my clinical research and from those of many of my colleagues, I can comfortably say that power people never change. Run. Don't Yay. walk. <laughs> Yay. Because uh, that just needed to be said. When we don't have the context of your book about staying and leaving, then we might be thinking, oh, this new information, I'm just not doing it right. And if you're with a hijackal, you can't do it right. The whole game is to make sure that you never do it right because they continuously move the markers so you can't. So I'm so glad you brought that out because we cannot expect a person who has the characteristics, traits, cycles, patterns of toxic people to understand this dynamic, to understand the desire to have a collaborative, cooperative, loving relationship, because their need for power is so intrinsic. So I'm really glad we had that. And I hope everybody that you hear the distinction, because Mira is not saying this is going to work in a hijackal relationship, but it's a wonderful thing to have in your toolbox as you become healthier and healthier and want to engage in healthy relationships. Exactly. Beautifully said. So very important. So what if one party genuinely intends to be loving or protective and the other partner feels put down or disempowered or parented. Is there any way in your system to give some inspiration to create a little more equality? Excluding power people, because as I said, they do not, will not, cannot change. They don't want to change. And they're not able to change. So please, you have one life. Don't waste it with a power person. You can love many people and have a happy life and get your needs met. 
But what you need is the three-step process for resolving conflict. So before you begin to discuss any solutions, you make sure that the other person understands what you think and feel about the issue you're facing, the need you have, down to your toes that you feel understood by them. You tell them what it is you need. You ask them what they understand. And you keep using a a, a process where you make sure you feel completely understood. Then and only then do you start coming up with options. Be sure to put up as many options as you can. Then you can choose your top three options. And before you arrive at a final agreement, you take your top three options and explore exactly how they would play out what the pros and cons are, what the difficulties would be, where it would work in your life, where you would need support. So you do everything you need to do before you actually agree to it. And you live with it for a short while. And the other person gives their top three options. And if it overlaps, then you've got a solution that you'll both try. But you you want to use this recursive process. You want to be able to uh, really feel like you're working together as a team. Yes, and people long for that, definitely long for that. To be greater than the sum of the parts as a couple is an important thing because that's what makes that person your person. You know, you have this depth of communication, you have this willingness. And I like what you say, Mira, about taking the time, because so frequently people want to rush to solution. They're uncomfortable, they're unhappy, and one person doesn't know what to do with the other's unhappiness. The other one is uncomfortable talking about difficult things. So they rush to a solution, but you're suggesting slow down and understand what's going on before you start generating options. Options. So what's a good way for them to slow down and understand? To take your time. Well, let, let's take an example. Let's make it really specific. Okay. You say, I want my mother to move in with us. You understand that the other person does not want that. But what you do, instead of fanning the flames of drama and agony and pain, which won't get you anywhere, you find out exactly what the other has in mind. And if it's your idea, you share Every one of your thoughts, why do you want this? For how long? How would it work? How would it affect your family life? And then you listen as hard as you can, and you ask all the questions you can, 
and you watch the tone of your questions. Are they harsh and challenging? Well, if they are, then the whole thing is a waste of time. And then you do this with each other until you both feel heard and understood down to your toes. And unless that happens, you're not giving it the attention it needs. Such good advice, because as I said earlier, when we're uncomfortable, we rush to judgments, we rush to fixes, we grasp onto solutions that haven't been fully explored. And then we're annoyed when it doesn't work or we feel taken advantage of. So these are great suggestions for anybody in any kind of conversation that is attempting to enrich the relationship by exploring options. And even when you're having a difficult conversation, like I like my mother to move in and I know you don't want it, um, do you understand everyone that, that even though you know you're entering a difficult conversation, if it's important to you, I hope it's important to the other person to explore with you. That offers the opportunity to fill in the blanks. Tell me more about how you're feeling about this. Why is this so important at this time? What would it mean to you if this couldn't happen? You know, really deepen the conversations, as Mira is suggesting, because that allows you to get to know what's going on in the other person. Use my strategy, the personal weather report. We talked about it so much here. Be able to explain yourself with clarity. Do your own work before you enter the conversation so you know what you're bringing to the conversation. Be clear before you come. That can often help you know what it is you want to say, and that moves the process forward, which is great. So we're talking about power today. My guest today is Mira Kirschenbaum, and she is just a fount of information. Her new book, Why Couples Fight, is an important book for you to look at. You can also learn more about her at chestnuthillinstitute.com, chestnuthillinstitute.com. And of course, all that's there in the show notes for you, the names of her book and all those things. So just look at the show notes and that will mean that you don't have to be looking for a pencil right now. So Mira, you talk about six signs of power problems that are poisoning your relationship. Um, I'm sure we touched on a couple, but let's formalize that by talking about all six before we go. Okay, I'll tell you the six and then I'll go into each of them in a little more detail. The first is go nowhere arguments. Then, of course, the feeling disempowered. Third, not getting your needs met. Fourth, experiencing yourself being put down or devalued. Don't let that happen, please. You've got to take yourself seriously, because if you don't, no one else will. Five, the feeling that your partner is a stranger to you. And the sixth is growing distance in your relationship. So let me start with going nowhere arguments. If you're in a situation where you want more time 
with the other person. And the other person just wants you to leave him alone so he can get his important work done. You'll get into an argument you're not proud of. And most people do that. It's, as I said, a reflex. It's not our fault, except for these power people who are just want to control us. Control freaks dominate us. But other than people like that, most of us are just trying to get our needs met and be happy. So these go-nowhere arguments, you know what they're like. They never resolve anything. There's no sense that there's a good outcome. And maybe one of you ends by saying, fine, whatever, I'll just, and you cave in. But it's a concession no one believes in. It's just a way to get the other to shut up. <laughs> and so how if- frequently that happens, you know, it, again, we're in the power move category here. Um, if you if you just comply or you appease with no intention of follow through or continuing the conversation, and really you just have to own the fact you just want the other person to be quiet, as you said. <laughs> This feeling disempowered, it's the biggest feeling in general for people. And they try to work things out, but they feel helpless. They feel frustrated. They feel, I know I do when I feel just, I hate that feeling of disempowerment, of helplessness, of frustration. And the thing is that power imbalances always end in mutual disempowerment. So going back to that example, we can't get the other person to spend time with you, but he just wants to work. Disempowered people always find ways to re-empower themselves. That's what keeps the whole thing snowballing. in in this tragic way because we just keep doing it it's our it's in been our repertoire since we were kids we don't know what else to do I didn't know what else to do until I did the research for my new book why couples fight next is not getting your needs met people in relationships that have these power dynamics going on can't get their most important needs met, which is crazy because a a relationship is the place where you're supposed to get your most important needs met. In all my clinical experience, I've never seen a case of power imbalances where one person is happy and the other isn't. Instead, no one feels like they're getting their needs met. And it's tragic. It's just when I have couples like this in front of me, it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Well, I, th- I think, too, you know, just relating that to my audience in the toxic relationships, they will feel very much that way, that they never get their needs met. But they're very sure the other person is making sure that they are. So I just want to keep bringing that distinction in for everyone listening, that we're talking about 
relationships that can move to healthy status. We're not talking about relationships that really require running away. (laughs) So as you hear these things, take these as great guidelines for creating your next wonderful relationship. Just know that it's not probably going to be um, applicable if you are already in a toxic relationship. So not getting our needs met is one really big thing. Let's go on to experiencing yourself being put down or devalued. Okay. What's going on for people is there in these relationships is constant put-downs and insults. They can range from someone making a piercing comment to something that's totally devastating. So in addition to not getting your needs met, you have the experience of seeing yourself as a horrible monster in the eyes of your beloved. And not only are you being put down, but you're seeing that the other sees you as this person who deserves to be devalued and put down. So it's a double loss. That's why I wrote this book. It's got to stop. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly you're describing a power dynamic in a in a relationship that has the potential to be healthy. It certainly has to stop. And for that same reason, that's why Mira said that in her other book, about staying and going that you really, when you understand you're in a toxic relationship and there is no hope for equity and power that you're going to run. So you will constantly feel devalued and put down in a hijackal relationship. So very, very good advice. And now number five, feeling your partner is a stranger. In a sense, love gives you that sense. If it, if it's real, You know me so well, and yet you like me. That's the hope for love. But the opposite happens with these power dynamics. You come with a need. What could be more appropriate? The best definition of love I've ever heard is Harry Stack Sullivan's um, in his thousand page book on psychiatry, where he says the health, happiness and well-being of the other is as important to you as your own health, happiness and well-being. So it's it's love what love is that you can bring a need. What could be more appropriate? But now. Fear of disempowerment leads the two of you down the road to feeling that the other doesn't understand, doesn't care, and doesn't want to do what to you looks like a small thing to meet your needs. Who but a stranger would treat you that way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so you said in, in your uh, example about love that you know me so well and yet you like me, which is like always that wonderful thing. Ah, my person, (laughs) this is great. You can see my flaws. I can see yours and we're willing to work together. I just, again, want to put a caveat in here for uh, those of you with hijackals. 
partners or parents or exes or adult children, that the whole idea of the other person knowing you well, have a big red flag moment when someone says to you, I know you better than you know yourself. Because that is opening a your eyes to seeing how powerful the other person thinks they are in your life. So such good advice. I mean, nobody wants to feel their partner is a stranger. So now we are on number six, growing distance yeah, before, in your relationship. Before I uh, speak to that, I want to say, please don't believe Anyone who says, I know you better than you know yourself. Absolutely. That's the sign of a con man. Anyone who says that, do not believe it. You are on the inside. You know yourself from the inside. Maybe you don't know how you come across because you haven't gotten accurate feedback or you don't know the percentage. So if you feel yourself uh, very easy to manipulate, is that 90% of the time you're easy to manipulate or 10%? And maybe you should ask your best friends what they think and get a consensus so that you have a more accurate view of some qualities of yours. But everyone else in the world is comparing your insides, what they see from you on the outside. Only you know what you feel like on the inside. So anyone who is defining you and saying that they know you better than you know yourself is lying and cannot know that. It's the problem of other minds. I was trained as a philosopher, and no one can know that. Exactly. And that's why I bring it up so frequently, because it is such a quick way to calibrate what's going on. If someone says, I know you better than you know yourself, run. It's as simple as that. So let's finish up your list with growing distance in your relationship. Yeah, distance is the solution that most people use for everything until the ultimate distance of divorce. But whatever the problem is, uh, you just don't do it. You sex is a problem. Well, you just don't have sex. Uh, you don't like the same TV shows. Well, you you watch different TV shows. You get a uh, you watch TV on your computer or something. Any problem you solve with distance. That's the all-purpose solution that all couples use. And the tragedy is, at some point, they turn around and they realize. They have no relationship. There's so much difference and distance between them that there's nothing left until that ultimate divorce. So um, these are the signs that, in fact, you have power problems poisoning your relationship. Hmm. Well, thank you for sharing those with us. And thank you for sharing your work. Thank you for your insights. And thank you for hanging in helping people for such a long time, Mira. <laughs> 
been my pleasure. I've loved the work. I'm so grateful for everything I've learned from all the people I've worked with through the years. I'm like an old uh, country doctor. People bring their kids and their grandkids to me. <laughs> I've gotten to see the generations change. It's wonderful. I've, I've loved it. I've just been so, I've felt like I've been part of people's lives and I've helped them and they've helped me. That's just wonderful. So thank you again, Mira. My guest today has been Mira Kirschenbaum. Sorry, I will edit that. Um, my guest today has been Mira Kirschenbaum, and she has so much wisdom, as you can tell. I hope, Mira, that you'll come back and we can discuss your book, Too Good to Leave, Too Bad to Stay Another Time. I'd love that. You can find Mira at chestnuthillinstitute.com. Chestnuthillinstitute.com. It's in the show notes for you, along with some highlights of the interview. So that feel free to share the interview with others who might wish to hear it. Also, you know that you can support Save Your Sanity podcast by going to patreon.com slash save your sanity. You can find me always at forrelationshiphelp.com. And remember, until we talk again, take very, very good care of yourself because you're precious and you matter. Talk soon. Thank you for joining me on the Save Your Sanity podcast today. I hope you've had some new insights, some ideas and strategies to help you gain clarity and confidence for moving forward toward greater emotional health and safety. You deserve that and so do your children. If you found value here and would like to support this podcast with a dollar or five each month, please do so at patreon.com slash save your sanity. Learn more about how to work with me via video conference, join my optimized circles, or subscribe to this podcast on my YouTube channel at my website, transformingrelationship.com. Talk soon.